If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Welcome to Disney Decipher, a podcast helping you save money, time, and stress as you plan your Disney vacation. On today's episode, Brooke McDonald returns to talk about her experience on the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser as we chat about whether it may or may not be right for you and your family. Find all episodes of this podcast at DisneyDecipher.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you find podcasts. And we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a positive review. Thanks to Newish Aquarium for your recent review. If you'd like to support the podcast, check us out on Patreon.com slash DisneyDeciphered, where you can subscribe for bonus content. Or you can also support the podcast at no cost to you by using me as your travel agent. Get started by emailing josephchung at travelmation.net. If you have questions or topic ideas for the podcast, email us DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com, tweet at us at www.deciphered on Twitter, or find us on Facebook and Instagram, Disney deciphered thanks and enjoy the show hi i'm joe from as the joe flies and i'm leslie from trips with tykes welcome back to disney deciphered so we are very excited on today's episode brooke mcdonald is back to talk to us about her experience on the star wars galactic star cruiser you may remember brooke from episode 193 our intro to genie plus episode a lot has changed since then but actually that episode is one of our early Genie Plus episodes that still holds up very well. Brooke, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be back. Can you uh, remind us quickly your Disney affiliation and also since it's going to factor in big in this Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser talk, your family and who you are normally bringing with you to the Disney parks? Yes. So I am a writer, editor. I am Chicago-based, but I spend a lot of time in Orlando at Walt Disney World. Also do a lot of Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, and I do that both as a reporter. I'm a freelance writer for a lot of different websites, simplemost.com, Travel Pulse, Attractions Magazine, uh, The Points Guy, quite a few others. And then also my day job, I am the content director for two regional magazines and websites, Marin Magazine in the Bay Area and Better in Chicago. So a lot going on and I cover a lot of Disney for all of those websites. I travel a lot as a family, as Disney Vacation Club members and annual pass holders with my husband and my five-year-old and my eight-year-old sons. Very nice. And we, as always, would recommend that you follow Brooke at Brooke G. McDonald on Instagram and all of her social media. She's a great follow and is always up to date on what's going on Disney. So we are going to cut right to the chase today because there's a lot to talk about Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser wise. So let's start with this, Brooke. If someone has no idea what the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser is and you had to give them an elevator pitch for kind of what it is and why it's probably not what they're thinking of when they hear the word Star Wars Hotel. What would you say to them? Let's say we'll give you 20 floors. So it's a decent elevator pitch, but you don't have all the time in the world. Okay, well, I think we should first start off with what it's not. It is not a hotel. Definitely, I think framing this as a hotel confuses a lot of people. There's no pool. There's no fitness center. This is an experience. Um, It's a two-day, two-night adventure, an immersive adventure. It's referred to regularly as a voyage, a quote-unquote space cruise. You do not leave 
Florida. <laughs> um, it's mostly contained within a building in, you know, just a stone throw from Hollywood Studios. But from the moment that you enter this building and board a launch pod that simulates your journey into space to meet the Halcyon Star Cruiser, you feel like you're in space. You are on a ship and you don't see the outside world. You see portals, windows into space, and it feels, it's wild. It feels like you are in space. During your journey, just like a cruise, there are lots of components that feel very much like a traditional cruise. You know, a big atrium, there's the bridge, there's a restaurant, um, you have your cabin, which is set up quite a bit like a cruise ship. And then you also have a port excursion, a port adventure on your second day when you will take a transport shuttle to Batu. basically get dropped right into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, never seeing the outside world, never breaking your story. You don't tap into those gates and have to walk through Toy Story Land to get there. So you basically stay within story the whole time on this two-night voyage on the Halcyon. That's a good explanation for Leslie and me who have not experienced it yet. Now, I have one quick random question for you. I saw that there is, if you need some actual sunlight in the non-Batu portions, I saw there was a, I can't remember what they're calling it, but, you know, a portal to the outside world a little bit. Now, I got a question for you. Is that actually for people to get some sunlight or is it actually the smoking section in disguise? No, it is definitely not the smoking section. It's called the climate simulator. And the, uh, you know, the story behind the climate simulator is that it simulates the climate of whatever planet you are traveling to. So the climate simulator on our voyage is simulating, but two, you're going to step outside and get that Florida, <laughs> that Florida climate. It's a beautiful space and you can go in there and get that natural light. There are some story moments that happen in there too. There are some cool things to look at. If you end up in there at the right time, some cool things might happen. And you also may end up as your path progresses, which I know we'll talk about, you may end up finding yourself in there for particular reasons tied to your story as well. So there are a lot of people do. Um, we should talk about that. A lot of people have asked about, am I going to feel claustrophobic? When can I see natural light? You can leave the ship at any point. You can take that launch pod back down to the valet and the parking lot um, and just come and go as you please if you'd like. You can also go into that climate simulator. And then on day two, you know, you can spend half of your day on Batu. So there isn't really ever, you know, a huge, you're never spending an entire 12 hour day enclosed. Um, so I think that that's something that people have been concerned about that really, at least for me, didn't feel like an issue at all. That's good to hear. So um, before we get too far into more details, I want to at least address the elephant in the room. You took this cruise as part of the Disney media event, which got, I, I know, a lot of blowback on social media, especially on Twitter. I just wanted to take a detour really quickly and sort of just talk about that and how you thought maybe your experience was different and whether you thought sort of the blowback was justifiable or I guess understandable given the cost of this experience. Yes, we, I was invited. My family was invited. Um, we were hosted by Disney for this event. Disney paid for our voyage. This happens a lot when Disney opens a new ride or a new restaurant or a, has a new festival. Um, they will invite media for us to experience it. We had interview opportunities outside of on the day after the experience, but our two-day, two-night experience was the full voyage just as a guest would experience it. It was just a 
ahead of the maiden voyage, which happened on March 1st. Our, ours was on February 21st, but we did experience same menu and basically the same show elements and everything from start to finish. To my knowledge, there was no variation from a normal experience. Sometimes with media events, you know, you'll get like sample plates of things. And as a reporter, I typically don't even showcase that kind of stuff. We'll have a party, you know, and a part of a park will be closed off after, you know, during a ride opening or something. And I typically don't even show things that a paying guest wouldn't experience in the same way. But everything that you saw happen during that media voyage was definitely the same experiences that that regular paying guests are now experiencing. And we are seeing those since the maiden voyage, those experiences very much mirror ours. Yeah, that's right. And I know sort of a lot of folks were questioning whether or not the media event, even if it was true to what guests were experienced, the, the one thing that wasn't true was that nobody was paying for it. And so uh, this this was, I think, what caused a lot of the blowback. It's very different than many any other media event, I think, than Disney has had before, where, you know, you're going to an opening of a new ride. Yeah, you might have a party and you get a free park ticket for the day. But this is, we haven't talked about the cost. What is the cost? Let's talk about that. So the cost, it starts at, and I'll just use my family as an example, as you know, the example. So for a family of four, the starting cost, depending on the date, is $5,999 for four. Offhand, I believe, I think it was around 4800 is the cost for two, if you just had two in a room, but you figure it's somewhere around ballpark, you know, $1,500 a person for the experience. So for the two night experience. And yes, just to go back to, you know, the Twitter, <laughs> the Twitter firestorm, it, it, we were the people who were there were really fortunate to be there. I was also alongside of a lot of really trusted journalists who, you know, are very honest when they don't like something. We had a wonderful experience. And um, I personally shared some things about the experience that I had with my children and the fact that we were all really, really sad to leave and cried a lot. And it was a really emotional, moving experience. And people said things like that my children were paid to cry and said that I was a bad mom because I must have just fed them too much sugar and kept them up too late and, you know, all those kinds of things. But what, you know, I it didn't let I didn't let that bother me. And then very quickly, we saw paying guests from March 1st on coming off of this ship and having exactly the same experiences. So you know, I feel quite confident and comfortable with the fact that we said that we loved it. And we will absolutely be returning and (laughs) paying for it ourselves too. That's great. I mean, I think in some ways, the reviews from the inaugural sailing were even more <laughs> positive than what I saw from the media event, journalists or critic. And then when you get the super fans on that first sailing, I mean, some of them were just absolutely glowing. So hopefully, I guess a little a little vindication, but I mean, plenty of professional journalists. And certainly, I think it's not true. I mean, having been to media events myself and saying negative things about Disney, I mean, that is permitted, that is allowed. If you're only writing negative clickbait, you know, I think that is a different ball of wax, but appreciate you peeling the curtain back a little bit. I'm sure we can talk about this forever on another <laughs> episode, but just what did want to address this because this is very different than any other media event that ever was ever was had by Disney and probably ever will be. So interesting inside baseball for sure. Yeah, I think the other thing that's different with the Star Cruiser and this 
goes for both the media's reaction and I think the inaugural, like the first few, maybe even the first few months of people's reactions. It's the thing that we didn't think about until Disney actually did it. But this is revolutionary in theme park experiences. This is a brand new ball game. And the people who are going, media, people on the inaugural, people who are going early, I think they're blown away by the fact that it's a new experience. And obviously $5,000 for two nights is a lot. However, I'm not sure you can put a price on being part of a brand new thing that's never been done before. Even if Universal ends up doing this with Harry Potter or something like that, like Disney will have done it first. And so I do think that, you know, people do a premium. I mean, people pay, uh, you know, one day some of us will be able to go to space on like without being billionaires, right? But people go to space just for the novelty of it. And I think that is one of the amazing things that I've been seeing out of the Star Cruiser, just the tech and all the logistics behind it, it fascinates me as much as being part of the story itself would be on the Star Cruiser. So I think that is um, pretty awesome. Let's get to that story. People keep saying that the Galactic Star Cruiser is an experience. You are part of the Star Wars universe. You're part of ostensibly a movie, but really it doesn't feel like that when you're there. Can you talk to us a little bit about your experience about being involved in a story? The negative term that people have been using is LARPing, you know, for non-nerds like me, even though I'm not a LARPer. But what was that like? Oh, it was, it pulls you in so quickly. It was wonderful. So I would start by saying one of my tips is dress up. You know, you don't have to be in full costume and paint yourself blue, but to just kind of get into the part a little bit. We ordered some things from Shop Disney. My sons wore Jedi robes. Um, my my two sons, one always, always leans light side and the other one always leans dark side. So it was very, and they kind of reflected that in what they wore too. And from the minute you walk on the ship, the crew members and the actors, they really respond to what you're wearing. And if you know, they can and kind of give the sense that you're there to participate. And your story starts from the moment you walk on the ship, everyone's given a data pad. And that is so I guess I should say, first and foremost, this is a device essential experience for the whole two days, every member of your party is given a loner device, it sounds like that may be changing eventually to um, you will use your own smart device. And then if anybody in the family doesn't have one, if you have kids who don't have a phone, they will provide provide you with one, but every person has a data pad and that houses your sort of your personal profile and your place within the story. And that's where you start to establish your own path. And so your path are sort of forged by both your personal interactions on the ship and your interactions via the data pad through chat with other members of the crews, um, you know, with the cast, with the captain, with the first order, with the cruise director. And then there are consoles throughout the ship. It's also um, you're given a magic band and that helps drive your story forward too, where you will tap in and kind of identify, attach yourself to certain events where you were in a in a room for a particular reason. Um, and you do a lot of that on the first day. And then that helps establish your path for the second day. And you'll get, you know, if you if you were in certain meetings and you sort of showed your allegiance to a character or a side on the first day, then um, you're going to be more likely to be invited to X, Y, or Z meeting on the second day. And these things happen behind closed doors. And if you did didn't get an invite and your magic band doesn't tap you into that one, then you're, then you can't go. <laughs> so 
our family, one thing that's really important to know as a family is that the way that you answer your questions and the way that you interact really does start to forge that path very early on. And it can take you in different directions. So if you want to do things together, then you need to kind of mirror your answers in your interactions. So you're going to want to answer, you know, if mom and son for us were, you know, going to do the same things, and I really needed to answer the same questions in the same way that my son was. So my husband and I sort of each took took a backseat to our two kids and let them kind of decide how they wanted to go. And we basically decided that, you know, knowing that one was very first order leaning and the other one was all was resistance, we knew that we were going to split up. And so we kind of started, so we basically, you know, were able to go in two directions like that. So that's something that I would recommend. If you need to stay with your kids, you can't have a parent and a child doing different paths. Do you think they would let a child go? You're going, let's say, you said already said stuff happens at the climate simulator, right? Do you think they would let a seven or eight year old, even if their parent allowed them to go to the climate simulator story moment without, you know, the parent tagging along? Yeah. So it's fascinating. The ship is both, it feels big in that it feels like not claustrophobic and very much like a ship in a space and a cruise that you are on. You have both this sense of grandeur, but also it feels small and safe. <laughs> so I believe they said that kids over seven could kind of roam freely. And you really can't lose somebody too much on this ship. My eight-year-old, he took off a little bit, but you know, he would be just around the corner or in, and all of the action happens on only two decks of the ship, deck four and deck six. So somebody couldn't go very far. Um, but I do think that they said, you know, kids under seven shouldn't be going solo. I assume they have cameras everywhere as well. One more nerd question question my understanding is from the data pad you're like texting someone you know you're texting the captain or you're texting different characters in the story could you tell whether whether you were talking to a real human or a real alien excuse me or a computer or was it both i, I just like i said the tech i don't know how disney pulled all this off so the data pad you're more answering questions it's often like a multiple choice what do you want to do here or it will be something mission driven where it's okay i need this code off of this thing in the engineering room and you'll go in there and then you'll be plugging that in most of the actual interactions with the other crew members that mostly happens in person but they do they learn your name so fast oh my gosh it's incredible how you really get to know people very quickly. And also, depending on, you know, which direction you take, the, and, and as I mentioned, you end up in these rooms, as your path forges, you get to know people because you keep ending up in the same place. The First Order is definitely not as popular as the resistance path. And then there's also kind of like a scoundrel smuggler in it for oneself sort of path that goes in a quite interesting direction too, but I don't want to spoil anything. But I will say I started out aligning with my resistance son and I got hooked by the first order big time. So I jumped ship and switched over and joined my five-year-old. So we ended up with this much smaller group of first order loyalists and really got to know them so well by the end. Not only the actors, the crew members, but the other passengers that you're with, you kind of, even if you didn't get 
a chance to really have a conversation with them too often. You were all part of this journey together and it, you kind of really got attached to the groups that you ended up with. I know you put some interactions on Instagram Reels. I've seen them myself. So folks should go check those out if they want to sort of see that in action. It really was lovely. I have a sort of a practical question. You know, you have a five-year-old. I assume he's not a proficient, <laughs> independent reader at this point. I mean, how hard was it for him to use the data pad? Did you think that was like a negative? Would it be better if he was a year or two older, even a little bit more independent? Yeah, so I have, and I've gotten this question a lot, and I've given a lot of thought to the age component for kids. We are very much parents who have brought our kids with us to everything since they were babies. Um, and I always have said, you know, Disney vacations are always appropriate, age appropriate for, I was bringing four month olds to things. This is definitely different. My five year old is a big Star Wars fan, totally gets it, knows all the stories and the backstories. You don't have to know all of that at all to do this experience, but I do think in terms of having a kid that young be deeply invested and interested, that helped a lot. He can't read. So I did have to go through the data pad with him, which was fine because we kind of knew that we would have to do that data pad mirroring anyway of the answers so that we could stick with him. So I did guide him through that. I will say, and I've heard a lot of feedback from parents, you know, not a lot of parents have brought kids even younger than this, but I think he was about the lowest age that I would bring a kid if I were a parent who really wanted to fully experience it myself as well. If you're just in it to bring your Star Wars loving kids and that's your main goal, then a four-year-old could very likely love this too, even a three-year-old. But there are a lot of things about the experience, you know, a, a younger kid, a kid who needs to nap. It's so fast paced that you're spending hundreds of dollars in your room during that nap time. There are a lot of the activities happen late at night. I mean, all the way through to 10 o'clock. So if your kids need to go to bed before 10, you might want to think about waiting until they're older or doing an adults only trip. But for us, and I heard this feedback from so many people, adults without kids, adults who are not quote unquote kid people, they're self-proclaimed not kid people, all said that the kids that were participating in the experience really added to it rather than made it like a kids and adults kind of thing. It was very much a group experience that, it, and for me, my kids added to my experience so much more than I ever would have even thought. It was wonderful. Yeah, I may or may not have asked my kids after news of the Star Cruiser started coming out. Hey, uh, you guys want to start watching these Star Wars movies finally? Because they keep saying they don't want to watch them. Uh, I, you know, I've been trying to, you know, I got to assemble a crew to to make this happen. Now, you mentioned your other shipmates, you know, other people on the Star Cruiser. Like you said, it can be very intimate at times, but there's also technically 100 rooms, 100 cabins on the ship. So I'm curious, how did it feel in terms of crowds? You know, I saw some pictures of the atrium, which is where a lot of the action happens. It looks really crowded there. But then at other times, I hear that there are these very small, intimate moments. So what did that feel like for you? There are a couple story moments that bring basically the entire ship together in the atrium. And it is full during that time. They happen for specific reasons. And they're sort of, it's organized chaos in a fun way. And it doesn't, it never felt chaotic per se to me, but it, it is crowded. But then the crowd very quickly disperses into all of these different story branches. You're often finding yourself in nearly empty spaces. The sublight lounge, for example, that's the that's the bar that's off of the atrium. It's an extremely upscale cantina. 
I never had a problem getting a seat in there. You know, it was never like elbow to elbow standing room like Oga's Cantina is on Batu. The only other time when you see like kind of very crowded moments is when all of a sudden something's happening because these things just pop up and happen all around the ship. All of a sudden you'll see a character and he's trying to sneak into the cargo hold or somebody is locked in the brig and um, another character needs you to get a code to get them out. You know, so I'm just saying these things that kind of being vague, this doesn't spoil anything, but, and then also it kind of draws a crowd. So all of a sudden you'll, you know, if you're walking by and you want to see ooh, what's going on over there, then there's, there are these brief sort of crowded moments that you certainly don't have to huddle into, but you could. <laughs> if that helped. Just in terms of your shipmates, I mean, it sounds like you made some connections with people and they were part of your story and you got to have these intimate moments. I mean, is there a downside to that? Is there also the other end of the spectrum of people who are like getting in the way of your story because they're so involved themselves that they're preventing you access from a character? I mean, is that something that you see as sort of a, a potential thing to watch out for as this as this plays out and as more sailings go on? Yeah, we understand that it might have been a little bit different on the media cruise. But you know, if you could imagine, you know, the nerds like me on there, am I pushing little six year olds out of the way to get the story? I'm just kidding. I would never do that unless it was my six year old. You know, I got a question when I did share sort of a highlight reel of my son's interactions with a first order lieutenant because they were they were magical and the actor was absolutely incredible. And it just was an amazing snapshot of why it was so special for us. And someone said, well, is it just the kids who get those sort of interactions? And it's not at all. It's basically it's whatever you make of it. Um, you can engage as much or as little as you want. And these actors are so good at managing the story. And they're just they're brilliant improv actors in terms of um, involved making everybody feel involved. And they kind of, you know, I didn't see anyone being able to monopolize a conversation or a storyline. Yes, there are a few people here and there who maybe try to want, want to be the first one in line for everything, but they kind of do a pretty good job of making sure that that doesn't ever take over the experience. That makes sense. Let's uh, talk a little bit about the port excursion, quote unquote, to Batu. I think people were at first saying, oh, let's skip Batu because, you know, we've been there at other times, but obviously it's very integral to the story. And so how did you feel about going to Batu and especially looking at through your kids' eyes, who I know have been to Batu before, did they see it with like fresh lenses now that they're doing missions? And I don't want to get too much into spoilers. And in fact, I don't even know necessarily the spoilers, but the attractions seem to take on new meaning because of what's going on on the Star Cruiser. So how did that all play out for you and your family? So I was the first person in line saying, I'm going to stay on this ship the whole time. Um, why would I go to a place that I go all the time? But of course, I wanted to experience everything. So um, I did do the excursion and I couldn't have been more wrong. It is such an important part of the voyage. You take the transport shuttle. It's quick. It's seamless. Given a pin that denotes that you're a Halcyon passenger, you kind of feel like you're on an unguided VIP tour. It very much denotes you as a VIP, you know, a special, a special visitor to the land. The Batu locals, the the cast members there, they all recognize you. They'll greet you. They'll, you know, ask how your voyage is going. You have a number of missions to complete while you're there, which have substantial impact on the rest of your day and the story moments throughout the evening. So. 
if you really want to get everything out of this, you definitely are going to want to keep your eye on your data pad and go to Batu and complete those missions. We also did Oga's Cantina. We were able to make a reservation there. If you've ever been to Oga's, typically you go check in for your reservation and you still wait 20 minutes. This was like checked in. We were seated immediately. Our server came right to the table. So they definitely seem to make a really concerted effort to keep Halcyon passengers moving through the Batu experiences so that you don't get slowed down too much and you can go there and efficiently enjoy the land and then get back to the ship. So I will say don't miss Ogas, um, even if you've been there before, because that was a, and there was a mission tied to that. And then some other missions just around the land. And then for the two rides, you do get lightning lane access to both of those. And even for people who know that you know lightning lane queues can even back up a bit particularly with rise of the resistance if it goes down see this didn't happen for us but i did see when i was back in the land that on a day when rise went down they even take halcyon passengers when it's back up and bring them not even through the lightning lane but through another entrance to get them straight onto the ride as quickly as possible so it doesn't take a lot of time out of your day and no spoilers but there are a couple little there's nothing massive but there are some story moments that make those rides more enjoyable and absolutely the events of the attractions do tie back into the rest of your day on the ship. I'm just laughing because I know that there's like an alternate mission if Rise of the Resistance is down because as we know it's down a lot and I'm just laughing because what if they made the alternate mission you have to go help them fix the ride like in real life. <laughs> <laughs> because uh you know we all know that they need some help fixing that ride so <laughs> they're short on staff. Why not use the Halcyon passengers? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know I guess that's a reason to go try to do Rise first thing just that's a good tip for everybody always <laughs> but also during your halcyon excursion to try to get that one in because the ride can be unpredictable and then i will just also say that this experience also just completely changed it, it made us so much more attached to batu my kids we're going for spring break to walt disney world next week and that's all they can talk about is at least we can go you know even though we're not going back on the halcyon this trip they said you know at least we can go to batu and i want to spend all of my time there and the data pad the play disney parks app you know has a star wars galaxy's edge component as well and some of the things that you do during your star cruiser voyage they do remain with your profile on the data pad so you know i was awarded rank of first order loyalist and now i'm still a first order loyalist when i go back to batu and you know do missions there i've already gone back and played around with it immediately because i was missing star cruiser and wanted to get back into it so yes it completely changes your relationship to the land it's almost difficult to explain but i just i, I can't recommend enough to spend time there and enjoy that too well, let's uh, switch topics for a second. I want to talk about the food because that's gotten a lot of photographic evidence out there on Instagram. I mean, what did you think overall about the food? What did your kids think about the food? Lots of bright colors as I have seen and some more exotic things that I know my uh, picky chicken finger eating child would not enjoy. Yeah, so I have one of each of those types of kids. I have a super picky kid and then a kid who is adventurous and loves to try everything. I absolutely loved the food. I, I mean, we all loved the food. It is particularly breakfast and lunch are so much fun. It's a buffet type setup, but it's really a um, like a bento box type thing where you assemble your own tray 
and all these little dishes and squares and rectangles that all kind of fit together. It's like this beautiful, colorful puzzle that you put together on your plate. And most of the flavors, most of the dishes, they look more exotic than they are. You know, it's a grilled cheese and a tomato soup, but the grilled cheese is made. It's got all of these. It's like a bubble waffle looking thing. It's so difficult to describe. It looks wilder than it is. There was a little sunflower butter and jelly pod that was like a little green pod, you know, which is basically an allergy friendly uncrustable, (laughs) you know, and then there are things that are kind of wild, like a little dish with a crawfish on top of it, which my eight year old thought was the coolest, most interesting thing he's ever seen. So there are some exotic presentations. You can always ask for basic things like they have chicken, they call it tip-yip, which is, you know, Star Wars chicken, basically. And it's these little cubed chicken nuggets. You can get those at every meal. They have these, they're kind of like waffle French fry, you know, they have their French fries, but they're shaped like waffles. Everything just looks a little bit different. And I will say that my picky eater, he was nervous about a lot of even just, you know, that's bread, but it's purple. So I don't want to eat purple bread. We had a little bit of trouble with him with that. um, But there is a kid's menu. They have fruit cups, they have pizza, they have buttered noodles. If you see a component of a dish, that you think your kid might like if they, you know, if it didn't have any of the other stuff, they will absolutely bring you whatever you need. When you see the food, you know how sometimes you're at like a buffet and then you'll see something, you're not sure what it is, but it'll say like the ingredients. For this uh, exotic food that was actually a grilled cheese and tomato soup, did you have to figure it out yourself by eating it? Or did they kind of like explain in the menu what it is? Or do you have to adventure to find out? You kind of had to figure it out for a lot of them. I mean, what I'm remembering one of my favorite breakfast dishes, it was plant-based and it said that on top it had, well, I guess they were called egg worms. And oh my gosh, these were like the most delicious. It was plant-based eggs apparently, but just absolutely the most delicious thing I had the entire time. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you kind of had to had to guess a little bit at it. Like a chocolate chip cookie was called a daily sweet bread. There were, everything has different names and you could certainly ask for an explanation of it. But I think that in the little nameplates um, around the, the buffet, they didn't spoil the magic too much. <laughs> Well, that sounds pretty cool, and I think it would be interesting to kind of figure out what everything is. Now, we wanted to finish up by addressing some things that, you know, before the Star Cruisers started sailing were seen as negatives by people, and also, you know, after um, some people are still concerned about these things. We're going to take some negatives, but what we'd like for you to do is tell us, you know, who this might actually bother, because sometimes things that are negative will bother some people and not others, and or what would you say to someone who's concerned about this? So let's start with the easy one, or maybe, but everyone was very concerned about the room size of the cabins, that they were going to feel very small, too cramped. What would you say to people who are concerned about that? Great question. And I will say I was able to interview Doug Chang, who is the um, executive creative director for Lucasfilm, and he has been heavily involved in the design of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and Galactic Star Cruiser. And he always talks about how their design approach is to root things that they create in the Star Wars realm in reality, in in familiar things. So he said, you know, when they went to design these rooms, they started out with cruise ship rooms because you're on a space cruise and they wanted it to feel like a cruise cabin, but in Star Wars. And so if you think of it like that, first of all, I would say the rooms are more spacious than a cruise cabin, for sure. There is ample storage for 
luggage. And we actually were there for quite a few days and had some big suitcases and didn't have a problem with places to store our bags. A standard cabin is a queen size bed, two bunk beds, and then a pull down bed. And the bunk beds are really, really big. I had a six foot three friend who was also on the voyage and he had no problem fitting in there. They're not just long, they're wide as well. I really think two people could split sleep in a bunk, but you know, you don't, you wouldn't need to do that. So I think there's plenty of room in the sleeping area plenty of room for luggage storage. And also the bathroom is set up really nicely. There are multiple dividers. There are doors, you know, there's a door to sort of the sink area and shower. There's a door to where the toilet is. There's also a vanity area out in the entryway. And then you've got the spaceport window out into space, which you can kind of open and close. And the other thing I will say is you are not in this room (laughs) at all. If you're spending time in this room, you are missing out on story moments. A lot of the adults I talked to were like, you know, I spent eight total hours in the room. I slept four hours a night because I didn't want to miss anything. We were maybe a little bit more than that because we got our kids some sleep. But there is ample space for the amount of time that you spend in there. Yeah, I feel like any sci-fi fan would know that on real starships, you're hot bunking and sharing rooms with other people. So let's all calm down about the Star Cruiser room. One last random question. What is it like, though, sharing space with your mortal enemies first order and resistance does that get awkward you know i can imagine you know are you not sharing secrets with each other about what's going on obviously i'm joking because it's your kids but I, i wonder how that would go with adults well i'll address two parts of that actually i mean things got extremely heated between my children and if you look on my social media particularly that highlight reel i mentioned with lieutenant croy you'll see that my son's both were very passionate about their paths and at different points were outing each other. You know, I was helping my little guy spy on my husband and my older son and my five-year-old went and told the first order lieutenant what his brother had, that his brother had, you know, helped move a major story moment forward that caused some trouble for the first order. It's really a lot of fun. You, you do have this panel in your room. There's a droid that talks to you throughout your stay, checks in with you. And the one thing I don't know about um, is, or I guess you, you tap your magic band when you're talking to the droid. So she kind of gets a sense also of the path that you're on and you answer some questions and early on she'll ask you, you know, some questions about the First Order and the Resistance. So I would say too that members of the family should keep in mind if you want to move in one direction or the other, you know, keep in mind who's talking to who's talking to the droid in the room who tapped in and how that might impact your story. And then you were, you were talking about, you know, if you had a bunch of friends sharing a room together, that's one other thing I'll address about the rooms is the thought to me initially of four or five unrelated adults staying together in these rooms, which we've heard lots and lots of people talk about doing as a way to save money. You know, $1,500 a person is a lot different than 6000 for four together. Initially, I thought that was nuts and I couldn't imagine who would do that and I am 100% planning on doing that in the next <laughs> in the next few months you will see me on a trip with friends because not only do I feel like the rooms were spacious enough to make that work but I want to go back so <laughs> I'll be doing that Got it. All right. Well, back to a couple of the the negatives that we were talking about. How much of a negative did you think it was that you weren't able to experience everything? I mean, you pick your path and then you miss out on certain things that, you know, I guess, no, no spoilers, but they're definitely some iconic moments that many of the guests don't get to experience. I mean, maybe that's how Disney gets you to come back. But uh, was that a negative for you? You know, it 
it wasn't, but I can see how people could think that. And are there a few things that happened that, yes, would I have loved to see for sure? And again, no spoilers, but you know, some of the listeners will probably have seen some of those things online. However, I will say that some of these moments that we had, I think the uniquest moments happen via the resistance path, at least the things that have been kind of that everybody's been talking about. But some of the moments that we had in these intimate meetings with 12 other people in, you know, in a deep in the engineering room were so special and unique and with off the cuff improv actor interaction that I think everyone just gets their own personal experience and you're never going to leave there thinking, oh, I missed out because I didn't get X, Y, or Z. As long as you're participating in your story, I think that everyone's path and story ends up feeling very fulfilling to them. I've heard from a lot of people who never would have thought that they would take X, Y, or Z direction and every single person has, as long as they really got involved and participated, said, oh, that was completely worthwhile. The only complaints I've really heard from people are people who either didn't work really hard to complete their missions and move their story forward, or felt that maybe some of their scheduling got in the way of them getting engaged right away. Some people who did things like their lightsaber training and their bridge training, if they had those scheduled immediately after muster, which is the first, um, which is like the first kind of starting point of the story moment on day one, then they kind of felt like they missed out on key initial character interactions and story moments that they were never able to catch up on. Yeah, that makes sense. I do imagine, though, that Disney is going to keep playtesting and tweaking it i mean it's like any game really you know you're going to release version 1.1 1.2 so it'll be interesting to see how they clean those things up i mean it does feel like even if you miss amazing moments from the other side what's going on is if you're invested in your side it's almost like it doesn't matter i mean on an extreme it's if you see some important character on the other side well you know i actually probably would want that character to meet an untimely demise if I had actually seen them. It sounds like from what everyone is saying, you have to invest in the story or at the very least have people you are with who are invested in the story if it's like your kids or something like that. So going along with that, I the other negative I've heard is if you're not engaged enough, it is not going to feel worth it. I Kind of the flip side of that is do you have to go on full-on live-action role-playing mode to enjoy it? Because there's a lot of introverts who are Star Wars fans and just theme park fans I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about how one engages, even if, you know, that's not something that they would do. You know, like at a party, I'm not walking up to random people and talking to them about my allegiances. What advice would you have for people like that? So that's a great question. And I think when I say engage and interact, that doesn't actually have to be verbal and you don't need to be assertive. You can do that by using your data pad, you know, and just monitoring that comms channel. That's where all of those communications come in and interacting back and forth there and then being present for these events because you'll have the opportunity to, you know, you'll be there and maybe you won't be the one having the conversation, but you'll be with the group and and just kind of observing. And then you'll have the opportunity to tap your magic band 
and sort of attach yourself to that moment. So I think that there are really, I think you could go through the whole thing and never really talk to anyone and still have a really fulfilling experience. And I will say also that both the the crew members and the actors are so good at tapping into and getting a sense of that too, where you will have these quiet moments where you might feel more comfortable. Somebody will talk to you just off to the side, you know, they'll be whispering to you or answer a question. They're really good at gauging people's comfort level, I think. So I don't think any one should be put off by thinking, oh, I need to to be really vocal to participate in this. That's good to know for us introverts out there. Any other potential negatives that we might have missed? The biggest complaint I think that people who have done it have had is really about the pacing, just that you feel so rushed and it's just nonstop from start to finish. And, you know, there was definitely a point when my eight-year-old, well, in fact, I think it was at, you know, when he was crying at the end of the second night when then everything is basically over and he said, this needs to be three nights. It's just not enough. And it's true. You can't do everything. And so I think people have this sense of, okay, I spent all of this money and I see all of these things on an itinerary, but I can't do them all. But I think that's where I would say, think about a cruise ship too. You know, there are three things happening in three different places every hour on a cruise ship and you can't ever do all of the activities. So yes, that definitely contributes to repeatability of the experience, I think. But also I would say get there before 1 p.m. when you can get on the ship and get lots of sleep before and after because you really don't want to miss any minutes. It's very fast paced. If it were longer, I would love for it to be longer. So I think that's a, I don't know if it's a valid complaint. I don't know how it would work to make it more days, but it does, it's, it's very fast paced and you, you don't get a lot of downtime if you want to get the most out of it. So let's uh, finish things off with, I guess, the biggest elephant in the room, which is, you know, the negative people have been talking about the cost. Obviously, it costs a ton of money. I will quickly mention uh, what Len Testa said on Disney Dish, which I thought was useful. You know, he was like, if you have 5k to spend, go see America first, then maybe go see Europe or your homeland and then go to Disney World and then go to the Star Cruiser. So I appreciated that perspective. But at the same time, what I want to hear from you is who are the people, if they have the money to spend, that are going to find this experience worth it? For example, I would never take my wife on this. She's just going to have a miserable time. You know, even if she's like, this is cool, she's never going to be like, this is $5,000 cool. And then, like I said at the top, I think I, you know, betrayed some of my leanings as well. The fact that this is brand new technology, that is something to factor in as well, at least for me. So, you know, who would you recommend seriously think about doing this, you know, if they had the money to do this? Well, first of all, if everyone in your party is a Star Wars fan, and if everything that you've heard about this thus far sounds appealing, and you have the means to do it, (laughs) it is going to be something that you enjoy. It exceed it is exceeding expectations in so many ways and it is just it's so hard to even describe the emotional experience of this i don't every time i've tried to wrap my head around it i don't know if part of it is that we've all you know the world has been so strange for 2 years and we haven't had the opportunity to get together with people and interact with strangers and you know work together towards these common goals and you know there are, there are just so many things about the experience that i think maybe the reason it is really resonating with people is is initially unique to the time but overall star wars fans you should you're going to want to be a star wars fan at least to some extent 
I would say if you're questioning the money and then that age component is a big one to me, you know, keeping in mind, if you're, if your parents and you're on the fence about whether or not you are going to bring your kids and you want to hang out in the sublight lounge in the evenings, there is no childcare, you know, so somebody's either going to have to be back in the room or you can't do that. There are a lot of considerations like that about what can your family or your group makeup do. One other thing, I'll, another podcast that I'll reference is um, Carly Wiesel and her very amusing podcast. She did a really interesting price breakdown where she looked at kind of how you get to this amount of money. And she said, well, if you think about the cost of two nights in a deluxe resort, and then you think about the price of park tickets and the price of an interactive dining experience, breakfast buffet on property, something like a, a VIP tour that gets you straight onto Rise of the Resistance and Smuggler's Run. All of those things are built into this experience. And when you look at it like that, the cost makes a lot more sense. I guess I would recommend people, you know, kind of looking at it and thinking about it that way. Is it worth it is going to be something different for every family. I will say that, again, Disney, we were very fortunate to have Disney pay for our experience. We walked right off of there and agreed as a family that we are going to even do some things and change some things in our daily life to set up a Star Cruiser fund and start saving money because we are looking forward to the opportunity to do it again and we'll happily spend that money. One last question on that. I think what you say is great. Like, I think if you think you're going to like it, you'll probably like it. That makes a ton of sense. What type of skeptic do you think is going to be the most convinced? Let's say I dragged my wife on. I know she's not the type of skeptic who's going to be convinced. But, you know, if you are in a family with someone who's, you know, maybe not too into the idea, what type of person is probably going to enjoy it no matter what, regardless of whether they like Star Wars? Someone who likes going on a cruise and like good food, entertainment, even if you just sit back and kind of watch it, the performer on the first night at dinner has an absolutely incredible voice. The atmosphere and the chemistry between cast members and passengers and everything, it's it's electric. Um, the dinner service is awesome. The, you know, the bar is wonderful. And there are just kind of these really cool, interesting spaces. So I think if you were there to support someone who is really passionately into Star Wars and wanted to be running around with the actors and, you know, get really into the story, I think you could still enjoy being there. But, you know, that's not a person who should necessarily book and go along with friends. You know, if I'm deciding on my own, am I going to spend my $1,500 on this or something else, then, you know, that might be a person that's not going to go. But I think most families, unless somebody is really really anti, I think you, you'd get kind of tuned into how meaningful this experience ends up being for most people. Yeah, I think my family probably falls into that camp. I mean, we're casual Star Wars fans, but my husband loves a, a really efficient vacation where he does a lot of things and sees a lot of things and experiences a lot of things. So we are we are definitely at this point tempted, Brooke, and I was not until I saw your experience and Carly's experience, Lynn Testa's report, all of these from, from different folks I, I know and trust. So I guess Disney has a winner on its hands in the grand scheme of things. I mean, we'll see if, it, if there are enough people to to fill a hundred cabins every two days for years to come. So that's what I, what I guess remains to be seen. Leslie, I know we've gone way over, but I just need to remind you <laughs> episode 203. Did I, did I mock jo it? Joseph Chung. Okay. <laughs> predicted that the star Wars galactic star cruiser was going to be a great, 
critical and commercial success. So it's looking <laughs> good so far. We'll see if they keep filling the ship uh, through December, but you know, it's looking good so That's far. That's right. Brooke, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience. It was really amazing to hear it. I, I will confess I've avoided all your Instagram reels because I'm trying not to be spoiled. It's getting, of course, harder and harder as time goes on. But if you'd like to get a feel for what the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser looks like, and don't mind some spoilers, especially if you're on the fence and need to be convinced, Brooke, where can everyone find you online? Thank you. Yeah, you can find me on both Instagram and Twitter at Brooke with an E, G McDonald. So thanks so much again for coming on, Brooke. If you have any other questions, hit her up on Instagram and Twitter. She's very good at uh, replying to her comments and stuff like that. So definitely give her a follow. Other than that, both of you, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and we will see you both in a galaxy far far away thanks joe thank you everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.